Thank you, thank you. Hey, good morning. It's great to have you here at First Baptist. And uh, before we walk through the winter wonderland, though, you're heading for Thanksgiving. I know that. Got to go there first. And so I hope you enjoy some time together with family and friends. Let me just brag on, though, all of you as a family here at First Baptist Church because um, we are in the giving spirit around here, and we want to be a Christ to a world around us. And so last week, all of you brought in about 300, uh, actually it was 303 boxes, love boxes, filled with food that we took out to 23 different uh, schools uh, and five school districts around town, um, just making a difference for Christ. Um, you know, when you think about it, that's another nine or $10,000 that all of you are coming together saying, here, we want this to be used on people so that they might have good Thanksgivings and time together with family. So thank you for that. Thank you as well for making a difference like at the Breakfast Club uh, yesterday. Huge outreach down there at the Stockton Shelter. Over 500 people who were fed um, down there with our Breakfast Club and the work that they do week after week after week. They're there every Saturday, but this was just a wonderful larger event, the Thanksgiving outreach. I haven't had the chance to pray with someone to receive Christ into their life. Um, That is what makes it all worth it. And as the Breakfast Club says, we feed more than just their bellies. We feed their spiritual walks as well. And so that is a celebration. Um, And then lastly, the Caring Christmas Tree, which is out there um, in the Welcome Center. We know all those ornaments are going to be taken as well. Some 400 ornaments um, just to say, hey, we know we've been blessed here at First Baptist and we want to give. That is what the church does. That, at least this church does that. Amen? Amen. We want to make a difference. We do not want to stay inside these four walls. We want to impact this community for Christ. And so thank you so much for being involved in that. Uh, And if you're not yet, step up and get involved and make a difference. Because really what the message of Christ is saying is, you are my ambassadors. You speak for me out into a world that doesn't always see Christ. I mean, Pastor Scott just said it right here, that some people don't even believe that Jesus has anything to do with Christmas. Not, not maybe because of any fault of theirs, they just were never taught that. And that is hard to think about. That is hard for some of you who go to church a lot. But for some people, don't even put a connection there that a little baby was what started this whole Christmas time. That, that's just amazing. We need to be those ambassadors for Christ sharing that message. In fact, here's the verse I want to go off today. It's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Would you read it with me? Go. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. <clears throat> we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you are a Christ follower, God is making his appeal to the world through you. To be reconciled to Him. Now that's kind of a big word, reconciliation. It's what this whole last series that we just finished up was about. Of seeing how sin came into the world in Genesis chapter 3. That story's in your Bible. And all the way through the Old Testament. God bringing people back into a relationship with Him. God imploring His people, come, come. Know that I love you. Yes, sin has separated us. But now we can be back in relationship. And that theme permeates the whole Old Testament and then culminates in Jesus entering the world, which is what the New Testament then is about. 
And then with his death on the cross, God made it a way for us to be back in relationship with him. That is a message that our culture and our world needs to hear. And when Jesus was here, as he went and was headed towards the cross, he wanted us to make sure we knew of an incredible love that he had for us. And the incredible love that God the Father has for us as well. And his presence, God's presence, became embodied in the person of Jesus. And as Jesus lived, and as Jesus taught, he taught a brand new way of thinking. And what I'm calling this message is, change your Old Testament stinking thinking. Because that's what was going on with the Israelites. They were still thinking of their old ways. And when Jesus comes in and is born, and then about age 30 begins to teach and preach the ministry, he starts to change people's mindsets. He starts to say, you know that old way that you used to think? It is totally new. It is totally different. There is a different way of thinking. There's a different way of operating. In fact, when Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, he took out a wash basin, took out his outer clothing, and washed his disciples' feet. And after he did, he said, okay, disciples, get this. Here's the new command. And it's up here on the screen. Let me read it to you. It's out of John 13. It says, a new commandment. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can turn to that. But it's up here on the screen as well. It's on your outline. A new commandment I give to you. Read it with me. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All right, there it is. That is a new commandment. Not the old one, but the new one. Jesus has come to share that with us. And my question to you is, First Baptist, how are we doing at that? How are we doing? As a church? As people? In fact, I remember an article I read a number of years ago of an atheist who went to church. And here's how the story went. He said that he was going to post his quote-unquote soul on eBay. And the highest bidder was going to get him to go to their church. And what happened was an organization came by and said, hey, how about we post a bid on here and you go to 10 or 15 different churches and you tell us how churches are doing. He said, I'm game for it, $504, and he was set to go to 10 or 15 different churches. And they asked him, after you do it, would you write about your experience for us? I thought, what would it be like if someone came to our church who is an atheist? In fact, I don't doubt there's some of you here now. Maybe you're just invited by a family member or a friend, and you're kind of skeptical. Maybe you haven't heard a lot about this Jesus stuff. You know what church is, but you've never really been. First Baptist, how are we doing to be a witness? Would that person want to sit beside you? Would you move over for them? What do they think about our music? What do they think about our message? What are they thinking? Well, let me share a little bit about what this gentleman went through. He was interviewed by a magazine, and the magazine just asked a few questions. Uh, One of them was, before you visited churches, what were some of your assumptions about those churches, and were they right or were they wrong? Here's how he answered. 
He said, I thought church was a boring place everyone was forced to go to on Sunday morning. And that there was absolutely no thinking involved in church. He said, I was wrong on those points. The churches I saw knew how to bring people in and keep them there. And several times I heard sermons that raised ideas I had hardly ever thought about. Of course, there were also sermons that put me to sleep. Okay, just checking, all right? He said, but not as often as I thought they would. The people in the church chose to be there. They asked him another question. They said, uh, what would Christians have to do to change how atheists view them? And he gives this talk about how um, there was a part of the church that went out and did something in the community. They found a veteran. Um, who needed a kind of a, a remodel of their house. They took the veteran, they sent him away, and they did an extreme makeover with a group of people and handymen from the church. He said, that rocked my world. He said, that changed everything for me. He said, that sort of thing is what makes a difference. He said, it doesn't have anything to do with we're all Christians doing this. It was just a group of people doing the Christian thing, helping people. If you want to get into an atheist world, if you want to get into a person's world who doesn't value church, who maybe doesn't value your relationship with God, you've got to start loving on them. And you've got to start making a difference. It's why, as a church, we go down and paint the police department. We did that last month. It's why, as a church, we buy these love boxes and want to make a difference and give them out to the different school districts. It's why, as a church, we want to go downtown and feed the homeless. It's why, as a church, you all are going to go out and just take those ornaments off those Christmas trees and bring them back, and we give them to little kids, we give them to adults, we give them to men at the Gospel Center, and we say, hey, guys, may this be a blessing to you. It's from First Baptist because we represent an amazing God. But, but, please hear me on this. It's not just about those bigger things. When Jesus taught what he did, he was saying, how are you doing in your everyday lives? Not just the big type of events, not just the church things, not just the times that you go, we would say, you know, the synagogue back there and that you look good. But what about your everyday living in your personal lives and in your office places and in your workplaces and with your family and with the people who know you best? That's where Jesus really wanted to get after this. That's where Jesus said, okay, you've heard how it was done in the olden days. And and they didn't have, per se, the Old Testament, but we're referring that because we have that written up that way. This is how it was done back there in the Old Testament. But I got a new place for you to start thinking about. I have new things that you need to be doing. And if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 5. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives one of the greatest messages, one of the greatest teachings on how we are supposed to start living differently. And in Matthew chapter 5, you have it on your outline as well. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I encourage you to pick one up on your way out. But you can also probably take one out of uh, the pew there underneath the seats downstairs. It says in verse 38, 
These are Jesus speaking. It's what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. He gives this huge teaching time. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a what? Tooth for a tooth. Okay, that's the old way of thinking. That's the Old Testament way of thinking. And Jesus comes in here and says, okay, guys, let's talk about this. You've heard it said this way. You know that this is the way it's, it's been done for many years. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. All right. This is a brand new concept that Jesus is introducing into this time with first century Palestinians. You say, okay, well, what's wrong with an eye for an eye? Because that's how they lived. Let me tell you what's wrong with it. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus was getting after here. Originally, an eye for an eye type of teaching was, was taught to lessen the vengeance in the day. Meaning, if someone poked your eye out, you could not kill them because they poked their eye out. You could only poke their eye out if they poked your eye out. So you could not take a life for an eye that was poked out. You're just able to poke out their eye. It was supposed to keep things even. But what happened is it became a rule for a never-ending cycle of revenge. In fact, revenge that could be justified because of the eye-for-an-eye teaching. If you do this to me, then I get to do this to you. And the problem with that is that an eye-for-an-eye type of mentality never settles the score. It never does. Maybe you hurt them just a little bit more than they hurt me. Maybe, I remember, maybe you remember this as, as when you were a kid or maybe some of your kids or grandkids. Um, if someone, let's just say, like my big brother hit me and I would run to my parents and say, hey, he hit me. If my dad at one time said, well, then, Brad, I think you get to hit him back. And I tried to hit my older brother back, he probably would have laughed at me. Right? Because I couldn't hit him as hard as he hit me. And so I, then I'd probably try and kick him because I want to hurt him in some way. It was never, ever going to be equal. You, you, you never get that sense of, ah, yes, I got retaliation because you would always want to go one more. And it didn't matter who started it. When you eventually tried to eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth type of mentality, it, it never would work out and it would never stop. It's why in the Middle East today we have the problems that we do. I mean, there are generations upon generations upon generations upon generations of people who don't even remember why they are fighting. They're just fighting because someone did something that tipped the domino over, which tipped another domino over, which tipped another domino over, which tipped another one, another one, another one, another one, for thousands of years. And we live that way in the, in the 209 as well. I mean, I remember in high school, there were, I don't even remember the situation, but a friend came by and said that his, uh, a friend of his, it was a female, um, that she belittled him at, at school. And so he says, I'm going to go hide in the bushes, and when she gets home tonight, I'm going to spray her with a hose. I said, all right, I want to see that. So I went with him, and... Um, Kind of tried to talk him out of it, but it could be interesting. And uh, we sat there and we talked, and, and, and he was angry. He was frustrated. He was upset. 
It was his eye-for-an-eye type of mentality. In fact, what he didn't want to do is he did not want to go back to school without doing something. He wanted to have retaliation, and he wanted it to be known the next day on the campus that he had done something because she had done this to him. That's what it was. I mean, somebody tips that domino, that tips that domino, that tips that domino. And Jesus now comes in, and he says, stop the retaliation, because when you retaliate, nobody wins. You say, but Pastor Brad, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how my father hurt me and abused me. You, you don't know what kind of um, way that they at my workplace ruined my reputation or on my campus at school, or you don't know how they belittled me in front of people. You know what? I don't know per se, but I think Jesus did. And the reason I think this is because he gave an example from the ultimate insult. Check this out. When you see about the, um, the cheek being struck on one side, turn to him the other, a slap on the cheek, especially the right cheek, was probably done with a backhand, which would have hurt even more. So probably someone would have taken their right hand and backhanded someone like that. That was the ultimate insult that anybody could have gotten in the, these New Testament days. It was worse than if I walked up to you and spit into your face or called you some sort of a racial slur. Jesus says, when that happens to you, Don't hit back. Don't retaliate. Because that only feeds that downward spiral of hostility. It only knocks the domino over, that knocks the other one, that knocks the other one, that knocks the other one. Don't do it. Now, what I am not saying, so please hear me on this. Turn the other cheek does not mean that you just roll over and allow yourself to be abused physically or mentally, verbally, emotionally, that type of thing. It does not mean that when a father or a husband or a boyfriend beats you that you lay there like a doormat. That is not what he is saying here. God has placed people in authority to lord justice over those kind of acts. And what that does allow you to do is to renounce the revenge knowing you don't have to take it. You don't have to dish it out. Because when you do, nobody wins. And Jesus says, come on now. we got to do this differently. In fact, he goes on. Verse 40. He says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him how many miles? Two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying share generously. Let me give you a little background on this. In first century Palestine, people typically had a couple of shirts that they wore, but only one cloak. And that cloak was very valuable. It was the shelter from the cold because it could be very cold days and wind that would come whipping through those plains. In fact, in first century Palestine, it was illegal to sue someone for their cloak. It was that essential for them to wear their cloak. But now Jesus is saying, if that's what repairs the rift, just give it away. Bless them with it. And when you talk about the one mile versus the two mile, let me, let me share again what this was going on. The Jewish people knew 
that a Roman soldier could come to them at any time and request that as a civilian that they had to carry the luggage of the military personnel. So a Roman soldier could come along and say, hey, carry my bags for me. And a Jewish person would have to pick up those bags and carry them. And it was legal, it, it was mandated that you had to go one mile. And so what the Jewish people would do is they would pick up the stuff because that's what they had to do, and they would walk that mile, and they would come to the marker where they knew it was going to be a mile. They would say, three, two, one, I'm done, and they would drop it, and they would move on. And Jesus says, no, go two miles. Don't just do the minimum here. Go an extra mile and make a difference for them. See, what Jesus is saying here is, is your generosity... You're doing things differently now can even win them over and allow you to shine as a witness for them. He's saying, you've got to do things differently. I, I remember hearing the story um, a number of years ago in Time Magazine of a man by the name of Larry Trapp. Larry Trapp was the Grand Dragon for the Ku Klux Klan in Nebraska. And he was uh, probably the most well-known Grand Dragon of the KKK members. Um, constantly, he would write out hate letters from his little cottage industry inside of his home. Well, a family moved next door to his home. Um, that was a Jewish family. In fact, the father was the cantor of the Jewish synagogue, and this obviously set Larry Trapp off. He was irate. And let me quote what the Time Magazine article said. It said, um, Larry Trapp would call them almost every hour on the hour and threaten violence to this family. He would send them hate mail every day. He stapled tracks about, quote-unquote, the big-nosed Jews on their front door. He targeted their synagogue for bombings. But the Jewish family just kept saying, hey, Larry, we love you. We want to be a good neighbor to you. They would bring cookies over, and he would throw the cookies back out at them. But eventually, Larry, who had had diabetes since he was a young child, his diabetes got the best of him, and he was bound to a wheelchair, and then he started going blind. And it was at that point that the Jewish family from next door stepped in and said, Hey, would you like us to care for you? In fact, would you like to come live with us? so we could care for you. I mean, think about that. How many of us would do that, church? Not only to somebody who's maybe, you know, one of those problem child, EGR, extra grace required type people, but someone who literally has hated us. Would we do that? Would I do that? Well, Larry renounced his clan membership because of these kind acts that this family did for him. In fact, he tore up his Nazi flags, he burned the crates of hate pamphlets, and, and he called a press conference, as he, as he had often done um, to, you know, to put out uh, hate, but he called it this time to tell the press that was assembled there that these people showed me so much love, I couldn't help but love them back. And then he started a campaign that he personally wanted to go to every Jewish and African-American group that he could find and ask them personally for forgiveness for what he had done throughout his life. And just a few months after he began that whole process, that campaign of sorts, he, he died from the complications of the diabetes. But after he was a changed man because of the example that was shown to him. 
That's what Jesus is getting after here. He's saying, come on, we got to do this differently. In the 209, we operate, that's Stockton area code, if you don't know that one, okay? We operate by an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And he's saying, you got to do it differently. And the only way they're going to see that is by your actions and your love. He goes on, look at Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. He says, and you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. What he's saying here, he's saying treat people as God treats you. See people as God sees you. And this had to get real personal for the disciples because um, one of the disciples called, kind of pulled Jesus aside. His name was Peter. Peter was often a, a spokesperson for the disciples. And at one time he says, you know what, Jesus, what, what if they just keep hating on me? Do, do we have to continue to still love on them? I mean, is there a limit on the forgiveness that we're supposed to give um, when, when they are hating on us? And, and when Peter asked the question, he actually thought he was big-hearted because he said, um, do I have to forgive him like seven times? And Peter knew that the law was, again, Old Testament thinking here, the law was three times. You had to forgive someone three times for the same offense. And so Peter says, well, I'll just double it and I'll add one more on to it. Jesus, how about seven? Does that sound good? Does that sound like enough? And the other disciples are there like, wow, Peter, that's really big of you. And Jesus says, um... I'm sorry, but it's not seven times, but 77 times. And even some translations say it was seven times 70, which is 490 times. In other words, there's no limit to how much you should forgive. There's no limit to the times that you turn the other cheek. There's no limit to the times that you say, I'll forgive you. Not going to get walked on. Nope, that's not what Jesus asked us to do. But I am going to forgive you and not retaliate back. In fact, what Jesus was really saying here is that if you're keeping score like Peter was, right? Seven times, 77 times, 490 times. If you're even keeping score, it's not really forgiveness, folks. It's not happening. 46 through 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Don't even they do that? I mean, what, what's he saying here? He's saying that um, nobody's going to notice the difference between Christ followers and the world if you only love people who love you. Think about this in the upcoming week. We, our staff has already been praying for all of you because we see the concerns on the prayer request. Oh boy, Thanksgiving's coming and I do not get along with my family. Right? I know. We, we, we see it. We've been praying for you. Christmas is coming. We've got to split the occasion. We've got to split the holidays. It's just no fun. Think about how you can show love to those people this holiday season. Be different. Be different. 
Show them that Christ who lives inside of you makes a difference. But if you return evil for evil, it's like people don't think there's any difference at all. What's the good in that? Did you know that in the ancient world, there are no records of another religious leader uh, in history who made these types of bold claims? Bless those who persecute you. Return good for evil. Pray for those who are persecuting you. Don't take an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. No one in the ancient world taught that. And here comes Jesus. And he says, oh, man, the way they are going to see that this is different is by you loving on them. And the world steps up and it takes notices of that, that there's something different about someone that has kingdom benefit for long range Because you might even love that person for that moment, and they won't know what to do with it. They might look back at you like, what? So be it. Let it be good for the kingdom. And let God just smile on you as you do that to show them God's love and goodness. And so let me ask you. Do you have some Old Testament stinking thinking? Do you have those ways that you're still thinking, like, i got to retaliate, i got to get even, they're never going to be forgiven? That's where Jesus steps in. And look what he says again out of John chapter 13. I read this to you earlier. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you love one another. And by this, watch this now, by this, because of this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the love that we want to give. That's what we want to share and show. And that's why Jesus, as he was preparing to go to the cross, took a towel, got down on his knees, and washed the feet of his disciples. And the disciples were like, whoa, 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 you shouldn't do that. You don't be doing that. And Jesus said, no, 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 I want to do this because this is what I want you to start doing for others. It's the only way they're going to see we're different. Don't preach them into the uh, heaven. Don't force them into heaven. Don't outthink them into heaven. You love them into heaven. It's why we uh, take what we call the Lord's Supper or communion here at First Baptist. So we can remember what Jesus did for us. Because even as Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he gathered them around the table and said, Hey guys, um, what I just did for you, I'm going to demonstrate by laying my life down for you. They didn't understand fully what that meant at the time. They later put it together. But what Jesus was saying was, I'm now going to even uh, die for you. And before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered those disciples together. And it says out of Luke chapter 22 that he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying to them, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the, oh boy, what are those next two words? Is the what? The new covenant. There it is. We are no longer in the Old Testament days. We are no longer in the Old Covenant. Jesus says the New Covenant has come. 
That's why I'm doing this for you. We're no longer in that old covenant. I, I do this. I pour out my blood for you, the old covenant. That's why we come to this table here. Because we're not in the Old Testament days now. We're in the New Testament, the New Covenant. By grace, God has saved us through faith. By God's grace, by Jesus going to the cross, he set the way for us to no longer have to be judged by God because of our actions, but to be forgiven because of our faith. But that leads us then to having changed lives, which are lived differently. And so First Baptist, my hope and prayer is that as you take these elements, my hope and prayer is that as you leave this place even here today, that people will know you have been in God's presence. We, I, I shared this on Sunday night. We had a gal in, in, in my community group, and I asked her if I could share this. She said, sure, please do. Who, she had a friend who told her, you haven't been going to your church and to those community groups that you go to, have you? And she said, what? She said, you need to get back into one of those community groups. I guess she hadn't been acting real good at work. And so the friend was telling her, I want you different. I want you changed. I thought it was a great testimony because, yes, when we read this book, we're changed. When we get together with others and pray together and pray for one another, we're changed. When we come here to First Baptist, we leave changed. And that's just because Jesus and his spirit lives inside of us. And so that same spirit is in this place today saying, take these elements for those of you who are a part of my family. I will say this, if you have not accepted Christ into your life, if you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus, then just let these elements go by. That's fine. No one will judge you. These elements are though for those who are part of the family of God. For those who remember what he did for us by us giving our lives to him. And we remember that he gave his life for us. If you haven't made that decision yet, just let that go. But I pray, I pray even before these come, that today might be the day you make that choice, that you make that decision. And let's pray even now. Would you pray with me? God, we're we're coming together as a family. A family of um, mainly believers who want to follow your mandate. You said to come together and remember what you did for us. And so, God, we do that today. We celebrate what these elements mean, your body, your blood shed on the cross for us. And Lord, as we come to this time, for those of us who have known you personally as Lord and Savior, I I thank you that um, we take this step in reverence. We take this step in, in honor. We take this step in remembering what you have done for us. God, what, what a sacrifice you gave. For me, for each of us individually. You would have done it if we were the only one here for us. But God, you have done it for everyone as well. Not just for those who have already prayed to receive Christ. Lord, everyone in this room, those who have prayed or have not prayed to receive Christ, you gave your life for us, and now the choice is ours. Do we want to accept that? Do we want to believe in faith? And so let me identify or just address some of you who have not prayed to receive Christ yet. My biggest question would be, why not? He has come to give his life for you. He laid it down on the cross so that you can be back in reconciliation, a relationship with God the Father. And it, and it wasn't just an act of obedience. It was also an act of incredible love of teaching us how to live this life, to be, live a blessed life by God the Father. And so today, if you're here and 
maybe you've been hearing what I've been talking about, and you've come to the place of saying, okay, I, I, I know enough now that I want this Jesus in my life, then the words to the prayer are simply this, and it's not even about the words, but it's about a heartfelt attitude. Lord Jesus, would you come into my life today? Today in faith, I pray to receive you. Because I believe you are who you said you are. You are God's son, sent to this world to die for me. And we know that you didn't only die, but you rose again to new life. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life today. Today, I make a commitment to let you be in charge, to let you be in control. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. And Lord, I celebrate with you today. If you pray to prayer just like that today, God sees your heart. And he also invites you now to come to take these elements, to know now what he has done for you. God, I thank you that we have new family members who have pulled up to the table, who will be in heaven in eternity one day because of a simple prayer they prayed in faith right here today. But my prayer is that it will go way beyond just what we prayed here today, that it would be about now our lives turned over to you for our daily actions. And Lord, all of us across this auditorium, all of us here would not live in the Old Testament ways of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but Lord, we would live in love and goodness and allowing your Holy Spirit to work through us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your gift, for your sacrifice for us. We humbly, humbly remember what you've done for us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.